0: Good morning, Church. My name is Ellie. We'll um, be reading from Acts today, chapter 20. It'll be verses 17 through 38. Now from Miletus, he sent Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day I set foot in Asia except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. and from among your own selves will raise men, speaking twisted things, to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend, commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. This is God's word for us today.
1: Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to you all this morning. It's good to be with you today. And I hope that your holiday season has been a time of refreshment and rest and joy in the Lord. As we move from the Christmas holiday to the new year, I'd like to talk a little bit about the church this morning. Both our church here at Redemption and the Big C Church in general, I want to share uh, a goal that the elders have for uh, our church and for us as elders in the coming year, and I want to focus on this question, what makes a church strong and healthy I counted this last week, and I've actually been a part of 20 different churches in my 52 years. I'm not saying that's a positive thing, but uh, part of the reason is because I've moved around so much. I've actually lived in nine different states. But I've always been a part of the church wherever I've lived. I've been a member of a church of over 5,000 and less than 50 and everything in between. My overall experience has been very positive. I love the church of Jesus Christ. I've met so many godly, loving people in the church. And the church has been essential to my spiritual life and growth as a Christian. I've been a part of both healthy and unhealthy churches. I've seen a church of over 100 years old die. And I've seen two churches that I loved go through horrible splits that caused great pain. In both cases, there was a prominent church member from within the church, sometimes referred to as a church boss, who rose up to influence the church to get rid of the pastor. This is often why church splits happen. It's usually around the pastor. Now, these, these were congregational churches that had no elders. So the goal was to get a majority of members to vote together to get the pastor to leave. In one case the pastor was a beloved man who'd been there for 12 years. The church boss was a man who was a teacher of one of the Sunday school classes, he had served as chairman of the deacon board and he often bragged about running the church out of the, la- uh, the running the pastor out of the last church that he was a part of. After sowing much division and strife and separating the church into different factions, he was able to get the pastor to leave along with many other members in the church. In fact, after all the damage was done, the church boss himself left and went to another church. Tragically, some people I knew who came to faith in Jesus and began to follow him in that church left and, to my knowledge, have not come back to the church since because of what they saw and experienced through that time. Now, churches split for many reasons, But one of the main reasons such devastation was done in these two churches that I'm mentioning here was the absence of elders to protect the church from the devastation of the church boss. Churches that do not have a plurality of elders overseeing the church are not following the biblical design given by God to protect her from those who would try to destroy her. The book of Acts sets forth this very important pattern, beginning in chapter 14, verse 23, where we, at that point, Paul and Barnabas were on their very first missionary journey. They had planted several churches in several cities, and before they returned to their home church, they stopped at each one of the churches, and we read this, when they had appointed elders for them in every church. Notice elders, plural, in every church. Having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. This was the pattern from the very beginning of the church, that a plurality of elders was prayerfully selected to guard each local church. This pattern is repeated and clarified throughout the New Testament in the books of Ephesians, First and 2 Timothy, Titus, 1 Peter, as well as the passage we want to look at this morning here in Acts 20. And what we will see in this passage is our big idea for today. Faithful elders are given by God to protect and build up the church. And this is one of the things that is essential for a church to be strong and healthy. Now, as we pick up the story in Acts 20, Paul has finished his third missionary journey. And he's in a hurry to get to Jerusalem for the day of Pentecost. On the way, he stops at a city called Miletus, which is about 30 miles from Ephesus, and there he calls for the elders of the church of Ephesus to come and see him. He believes this will be the last time they will see each other. And so Paul wants to give them some final words of exhortation about pastoring and overseeing the church at Ephesus. (coughs) Excuse me. Now, the church at Ephesus was a very important church. In fact, we probably know more about this church than any other church in the New Testament. Paul himself spent three years there, which is longer than he'd spent in any other location that we're aware of. He wrote the letter of the book of Ephesians, which we have in the New Testament. As well as First and Second Timothy, he wrote to Timothy while Timothy was in Ephesus. We also believe that the Apostle John spent significant time. At this church, and it was the Ephesian church was one of the seven churches addressed in Revelation chapters 2 and 3. So, this is a well known and influential church, and Paul gives this stirring exhortation to the elders of the church to guard and protect this precious and important church. So, let's dive into the message here with two main points this morning. First of all, Paul's example in verses 18 to 27. And then secondly, Paul's exhortation in verses 28 to 35. So first, we'll look at Paul's example. Now, before Paul gives any instructions to the Ephesian elders, he reminds them how he lived among them for three years. Paul was a do-as-I-do type of leader, not a do-as-I-say-but-not-what-I-do type. (laughs) And, of course, this is the best kind of authentic leadership that people respect and follow. And Paul sums up his example in the phrase, "serving the Lord." Notice in verse uh, eighteen it says, "When they came to him, he said to them, "You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord, with all humility, with tears, and with trials, etc, etc." Paul often referred to himself, as a servant or slave of Jesus Christ. This was one of his primary self identifications. His first and only loyalty was to Jesus. He does not describe himself as a servant of mankind or of the church. I think this is an important distinction because although he was of great benefit to mankind and to the church in particular, he often said and did things that offended people because of his loyalty. To Jesus. This was the reason why he suffered so many trials. His priority was to obey Jesus, even if that meant he would lose his life. As he states in verse 24, he says, I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Now Paul was on his way to Jerusalem, and the Holy Spirit was revealing to him that imprisonment and afflictions awaited him. This was nothing new for Paul. When Jesus saved Paul, he had showed him how much he would have to suffer for Jesus' name, Acts 9, 16. But nothing was more important to Paul than finishing the course in ministry that Jesus had given him. And this absolute loyalty to Jesus is what enabled him to do the second emphasis of his example and that is faithful, uncompromising communication of God's word. In this passage, Paul describes his ministry in Ephesus by referring eight times to words like testifying, teaching, declaring, and admonishing. And in verse 24, he clearly states his ministry from Jesus was to testify to the grace of God. He says he did this with all humility and tears. He was not a harsh, critical preacher, but one who passionately cared about the lives of the people he was speaking to. Twice, Paul repeats a very interesting statement. Notice in verse 20, he says, "'I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable.'" And he almost repeats it verbatim in verse 27, but changes the end when he says, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Now the word shrink here means to draw back or withhold. Paul was saying that when he proclaimed the gospel, he held nothing back of all that God had revealed to him. But this raises an interesting question. Why would Paul be tempted to shrink back from declaring anything that God had revealed to him. We often refer to the gospel as the good news. Why would Paul be tempted to hold back the good news? Here we come to a very interesting point. The gospel is good news to those who believe. But for those who don't believe, the gospel is not good news. For those who reject God and his word, it is in fact the worst possible news. (laughs) The gospel is is not good news for everyone because those who do not repent of their sins and look to Jesus for forgiveness and mercy have nothing to save them from the wrath of God that will fall on them in this life and the next. This is the terrifying truth of the whole counsel of God. And those who reject the message often reject the messengers. And that's why Paul suffered so much. That's why he might have been tempted to shrink back from declaring everything. But Paul would not compromise God's word to make people feel better. And he did not hold back from declaring the whole truth of God. And God calls us all to do the same thing, especially those who are elders and pastors of the church. Paul says another curious thing in verse 26 when he says, Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, because I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Now, this suggests that if Paul did shrink away from full disclosure, he would be guilty of the blood of all. What is this referring to? What would it mean to be guilty of the blood of others for holding back full disclosure of God's words. Paul most likely had in mind some of the warnings to the Old Testament prophets, like this one from Ezekiel chapter 33, verses 7 and 9, where we read this. Now, as for you, son of man, I have appointed you a watchman for the house of Israel. So you will hear a message from my mouth and will give them warning from me. When I say to the wicked, O wicked man, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked man from his way, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require from your hand. But if you on your part warn a wicked man to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, he will die in his iniquity, but you have delivered your life. As a servant of Jesus Christ, Paul was entrusted with Jesus word and was told to faithfully communicate this word to all people no matter what the response some would respond with faith and be saved to unspeakable joy others would be extremely offended regardless of the response Paul's mission mission was clear he must not shrink back from declaring the whole counsel of God this kind of faithful Uncompromising communication of the word with all humility and tears is frankly something we rarely see today. There are many gifted communicators who are skilled at preaching on the things that everyone likes to hear, but they often shrink back when it comes to proclaiming the whole counsel of God, especially the parts that reprove and rebuke our sin and call us to repentance. And so when looking for a pastor, we need to be sure that we look for those who will speak the truth in love no matter what, and that we don't follow the ones who just like to tell us what we want to hear. Paul spoke the truth in love. This was his example to the Ephesian elders, and this is what he reviews with them before he turns to his exhortation in our second main point here this morning, Paul's Exhortation, verses 28 to 35. Paul calls the elders to do two things in verse 28. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. The word for pay careful attention is also translated guard, and that may be the better sense of the word in this context as Paul will later later discusses fierce wolves in verse 29 that are threatening the flock. But to be effective in preaching... Or in protecting, the elders must first guard themselves. That is Paul's first exhortation. Guard yourselves. Before leaders are called to do anything, they must first be something. And that is they must be examples of what a Christian is to be like. Like Paul, they should be able to say, follow me as I follow Christ. This is especially true for young ministers In the church, as Paul encouraged Timothy, he said, Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. Show yourself an example to those who believe. 1 Timothy 4.12 More important than any title or position will ever be, it is our example that will have the most lasting influence. This is so important for us to understand and prioritize in our lives, whether we are elders or not. I remember a wrestling coach that I had in high school. He was just a few years older than I was, and he was a really tough guy. He was, came from a really rough background and from a rough family. He got to know our family, and my dad was a pastor at the time, and he, my dad shared the gospel like he did with everybody fairly quickly, but uh, my friend Jeff did not uh, respond immediately to the gospel. But he says that he was in our house one time visiting us, And my dad and I were talking on the porch, and he came up behind us and was listening to us through the door, and we didn't know that he was there. And uh, at the end of our conversation, my dad said something to me that he said many times. He said, son, I love you. And I said, dad, I love you too. And it was more than just words. And my friend Jeff, who's the wrestling coach, he knew that there was was a, a true and deep love that my dad and I shared together. Jeff said it was this moment that God began to work in his heart because his father had never told him that he loved him. And it was something that he really longed for. And at that moment, he began to be drawn to faith in Jesus Christ because he saw something that he wanted. And that's what our example can be to others. In fact, this is what Jesus said. They will know you are my disciples by your love for one another. Not just our words, right? Example is more powerful than words. And words become more effective when backed up by example. We all all imitate influential models in our life, both positively and negatively. And to have people who are examples of godliness and faith and love and hope and joy and peace in our lives, this is a good gift from God. And this is what the elders in the church are to be. And why elders must first guard themselves and their example and their lives, for they cannot truly be effective in guarding the church if they cannot first guard themselves. And their ministry will only succeed if it is from the overflow of a rich relationship with God. When this priority is in place, we're ready for our next exhortation, and that is secondly, guard the church. Paul uses the very familiar imagery of the church as a flock of sheep. And this picture comes from the Old Testament, where the people of God are described as the sheep of his pasture, and the Lord is pictured as the shepherd. This is meant to be taken very personally, for we all know Psalm 23, where it says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want The flock is very precious to the Lord, for as it says in verse 28 here, he obtained the church with his own blood. As the good shepherd, Jesus laid down his life for the sheep. We are the blood-bought church of Jesus Christ. Now, one of the chief ways that the Lord cares for us as his sheep is through his under-shepherds. For we read here, that it is the Holy Spirit who made these elders overseers of the church. What do overseers do? Verse 28 says, they care for the church. Now the word care for here literally means to shepherd or pastor. And so we have a group of words used here in this passage interchangeably, which are consistently used throughout the New Testament, that give us a total picture of the elder and what his role is. Elders are Overseers, pastors, shepherds who are to guard and shepherd the church, which is the flock of God. Now who are the elders to guard the church from? Continuing the imagery of the flock, Paul says from the wolves who he knows will come to destroy the church. Just as literal sheep draw hungry wolves because they are their prey, so those who trust in Jesus and want to follow him draw people who see them as prey and want to influence them and destroy their faith. Jesus used this imagery in Matthew seven sixteen at the end of his Sermon on the Mount when he said this, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruit. Now, the sheep's clothing that Jesus is talking about here is not that the wolves are disguised as sheep, but rather that they're disguised as shepherds because it was shepherds who, who wore sheep's clothing or clothing made out of sheepskin and wool. And Paul corroborates this as well in our passage when he says that in verse 30 that men will arise from among your own selves. Remember, he's talking to the elders or the pastors and shepherds of the Ephesian church. So that he's saying that from among you who are identified as the shepherds of the church would arise these wolves. Paul says that they will speak twisted things in verse 30 to draw away the disciples after themselves rather than after Christ. And this is the fatal flaw of the false pastor. They want to draw people after themselves, which means that they're not true to Jesus Christ. They can do this in often very subtle ways that are often difficult to discern, but over time it becomes clear that their ministry is more about themselves and their desire to have people look to them and follow them and respect them rather than pointing them to Christ. Now we all have to search our hearts, don't we, in our own ministries to make sure that our motivation in our ministry is not stroking our own ego's or our need to be appreciated or depended on. It is this misplaced motivation that often causes people to twist the truth. Now, because the New Testament clearly warns us of these people, we should not be surprised at false prophets and teachers who present themselves as those who would care for us as the sheep, but their real goal is to promote themselves. They come in the name of Christ, But he did not send them, and eventually they are exposed, often not by their own words, but by their fruit or by their deeds. I've personally known several men who I loved, respected, and served together with who slowly over time began to doubt and reject their own faith in Jesus Christ. Some of these men were in positions of leadership in churches, and they began to teach things that contradicted the church's statement of faith, and thus they began to upset the faith of people in the church. Now, in a few cases, thankfully, these men were lovingly but firmly confronted by a faithful elder team. And this ultimately led to these men voluntarily leaving the church because they no longer agreed with the church's beliefs. In my experience, this is usually all it takes is for a group of godly, faithful men to Humbly and courageously identify and lovingly confront those leading others astray. That often solves the problem because false teachers do not, or false teachers need to know that they will not be able to say and do whatever they want with the shepherds guarding the flock. One of the things I love about Redemption Church is the culture of accountability among the elders. One of the ways this happens is through our weekly sermon discussions. You may not know that this goes on, but every week, the the person who's preaching on Sunday will present his basic sermon outline and his ideas about the passage and where he's going with the message to the other elders for their feedback. We often have very robust discussions in which we sharpen one another and improve the quality of the Sunday sermon. It can be humbling to submit to such scrutiny, but it is so good. And we all value this accountability with one another. And it's not just about preaching either. I know that whatever I say or do as an elder here at Redemption Church, I am accountable for. And all of us as elders, we want this because we want to walk in the light. And we want to be faithful servants of Christ together. It is the leaders who do not want this kind of accountability that usually end up leading others astray. And we believe this kind of accountability is crucial for a healthy church. That is what Paul wants the Ephesian elders to do. And he says in verse 32, Now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up, And give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. This hints at the final part of Paul's exhortation to the elders, and that is, thirdly, that he wants the elders to build up the church. The pastor elder is not only to guard and protect, but also to build up. Now, This passage in Acts here focuses on the guarding responsibility of the elders, probably because this was Paul's primary concern as he knew this was the last meeting and and he would never see them again. But we know from Paul's later writings to this church of Ephesus that he would focus more on the idea of the elders building up the church. The central text for this is Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 15, where we read this, He gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers, and their pastors and teachers refers to the elders, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. Now there's much to learn in these verses, but notice that the ministry of the elder pastor teacher is to result in bringing Christians to maturity so that they themselves won't be tossed around by false teachers And their teaching. This ultimately is the best way for elders to guard and protect the church, right? Is to build up members in their faith and understanding of the truth so that they will be able to discern and reject false teaching when they are exposed to it. So, this is Paul's final charge to the Ephesian elders, and again, we see from it our big idea for today faithful elders are given by God to protect and build up the church. Such faithful servants of Christ like Paul are greatly loved and we see this love expressed in the final verses of 36 to 38 where we read that when he had said these things he knelt down and prayed with them all and there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken that they would not see his face again. Now tears are mentioned three different times in this passage. And there is a deep emotional love expressed between Paul and these elders. And this is what elder ministry is all about. When it is done right, it is an expression of God's love among his people that binds them together. Now as we close this morning, let's look at some application points from this passage for us today. And the first thing I'd want to say is simply this. The biblical teaching on elders is rarely followed in American churches today. At least that's my experience and my observation of the American church. And maybe that's why this teaching might seem a little strange to you this morning. Of all the 20 churches that I have been a part of, the majority of them did not follow or understand this biblical model. I grew up in congregational churches that depended more on the model of American democracy for church government than biblical teaching. And it resulted in some devastating church experiences as I I described in my introduction. Many churches who even have elders do not seriously consider the biblical teaching of the elder role. And most churches today do not want to be seriously involved in the lives of the members, and and they don't want to be a part of any kind of confrontational or disciplinary actions within the church for any reason. Maybe this is because they've seen this type of leadership poorly done, But my sense is that most of the time it is that they do not understand this leadership model because this teaching and practice has largely been lost in the church today. For myself, I grew up in the church. I went to a Christian college. I even went to three years of seminary. And I still did not understand this biblical model of eldership until I was part of a church that really sought to follow this teaching carefully. So I understand if these are newer ideas for you today. However, I would encourage you to really seek to understand this teaching because it is so important. And if you're not a member here at Redemption or if you move to another location in the future, be sure to look for a church that prioritizes this leadership model because I think it is reasonable to assume that this is one of the leading causes of the decline in Christianity in our country today because our churches are left exposed to wolves, without those who God designed to protect her in place, and without the kind of leadership accountability that is supposed to be in place with the shepherds. That leads to our second application this morning. Our desire here at Redemption Church is to follow this teaching. We say this humbly but courageously. This is our desire at this church. Now, we want to follow biblical teaching in all areas of church life but especially in the area of of the ministry of the elders because we understand this is essential for the health of our church. This is why there is such a long and careful process for choosing elders, and we understand the serious responsibility to guard ourselves and maintain a high-level accountability within the elder team. As Paul commended the Ephesian elders to God and to his word, this is also where we place our confidence We trust that God and his word are sufficient to lead us in the right path as we continuously depend on both. In verse 20, Paul said that during his time with the Ephesians, he taught them publicly and from house to house. We believe this highlights two important aspects of pastoral ministry. Teaching publicly is what I'm doing now, what we do on Sunday mornings. We hope to offer more public teaching opportunities in the future. But in addition to public ministry, we believe it is also necessary to do a more personal ministry, similar to what Paul describes as going house to house. It's been my observation, both in my own life and in the lives of others, that this public and personal ministry are both needed to bring maturity in our lives. We can learn much through public teaching of God's Word, but we need to work it out in our everyday lives by a more personal dialogue. Both are crucial. I must say that I'm really excited to be part of the elder team here at Redemption. We had our first elder meeting last month, and the first item on the agenda was this. How do we shepherd the members at Redemption well? This is our first priority because we believe it is our God-given responsibility. And one of the first things we want to do is to know all of the members of our church. Now, this might sound very elemental, and it is, (laughs) but I've been in many churches where I didn't even know the names of the elders, let alone ever personally have met with them. And so we want to make sure that doesn't happen here, and this is one of our goals for next year. And we want to know the members of redemption in a spiritually significant way. That is, we don't just want to know your name, but we want to know where you are at in your walk with Jesus and how we can help you become a mature and fruitful follower of Jesus Christ. As you know, this begins with the membership interviews where we ask questions about each person's faith and background. But we want this conversation to continue. We know that spiritual growth happens in many ways in the body, We need one another, and and the ministry of of all of us is important, and all the gifts of the body that the Holy Spirit gives us are important. But in addition to this, we believe that God has called the elders to be the spiritual fathers, so to speak, of the church family. And we have a special responsibility to look out for the health and maturity of each member. And so we're going to make an intentional effort to get to know each of you who are members at Redemption Church in the coming year. We will speak of this more at our next members meeting, but our desire is to make sure that we are intentionally meeting with all the members of our church on a regular basis. That leads me to my third and final encouragement to you all today if you're a member of Redemption Church, and that is receive and value the pastoral care of faithful elders in your life. Because this is rarely done or done well, this kind of elder ministry may seem strange to you and may even make some, some of you feel uncomfortable. Most churches today are designed so that people can come in and out and never be personally known. But if you're a member at Redemption, you know that that is not the case here. For even to become a member, you have to be willing to be known. However, it's always a temptation to us, right, to try to live our lives in isolation and maybe keep certain areas of our lives hidden or secret. This is extremely dangerous to our spiritual growth. And we all must guard against that. Again, this just isn't just an elder thing. It's part of our community life. That's why we encourage everyone to be a part of a small group and have some brothers and sisters in Christ who know you and care for you. But in addition to that, make some room in your life, in your heart, for the elders to know you as well. The Bible says this in Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would not be of an advantage to you. The ministry of the elder pastors is designed to be a gift from God to the church that results in an advantage to you personally. So take advantage of this opportunity. Let the elders be a voice of influence for the Lord in your life. Many years ago, I was serving as an elder, and Lisa and I were involved in a marriage ministry of the church that we are at, and we knew a couple who were really struggling in their marriage. The wife came to us one day and said that she had talked with several of her close friends and her counselor, and they had all told her that she should divorce her husband because it was just too difficult to stay in the marriage. That's what she was planning to do. But before she did it, she wanted to know what we thought about it. So we discussed her situation with her husband at length. And then we opened up the Bible and looked at its teachings about divorce, when it's appropriate, when it's not appropriate. And we came to the conclusion that according to the Bible, God would want her to stay married to her husband. This was difficult for her to hear. But she really wanted to follow the Lord, and so she decided not to divorce her husband and to look to the Lord for help. This was a very respectful decision, and it helped her a great deal in her ministry that she was highly involved in to uh, reaching out to women caught in the sex trafficking trade in Milwaukee. Years later, we saw her, and she excitedly shared that things were actually improving in her marriage. We rejoiced with her at God's goodness and his mercy and his grace in her life. So this is just one example of how we need people in our lives who will speak truth to us. It doesn't have to be an elder, but we want to make sure that at the very least, every member has access to an elder here at Redemption who will seek to be faithful in pointing you to Christ and to his word. If you remember from our study in Colossians that Danny just finished a few weeks ago, the Apostle Paul said in Colossians that it was his goal to present every person complete or mature in Christ. That is the goal we are seeking together, to become the church together and individually that God wants us to be in Christ. And so as Paul said in this passage in Acts, let us look to God and to his word to build us up and give us the inheritance of those who are sanctified. Please uh, pray with me as we close this morning. Father, we thank you for this um, this passage in Acts, which just describes for us this man Paul, who is so passionate in his love for people and his and his love for you first and foremost. And Lord, we pray that you'd help each one of us to follow his example, to guard our own lives, Lord, our own walk with you, and then also to look out for our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we just pray that here at Redemption, we can honor you, we can glorify you, we can become the people that you want us to become by the power of your Holy Spirit, through the ministry of your word, and uh, Lord, we just uh, commit our church to you in the new year, and I pray for each person here today as well, as we look to this new year, and as you're stirring in each person's heart, and, and I pray that you will put on their hearts goals not just for their own lives in general, but for their spiritual lives, Lord, that that you'll lead each one of us in the way that we should go in the coming years so that we can walk more closely with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.